Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we learned Parsha Lech Lecha and I always take a few moments to acknowledge Hashem on this specific Parsha. 18 years ago my husband decided on a Wednesday morning that he was going to become Shomer Shabbat. And uh, we had become, they made the house kosher by then, but we were not so, so strict, you know. But one, he woke up that day and he just said to me, I need to become Shomer Shabbat. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I just have to become Shomer Shabbat. So I said to him, okay, I'll help you. I am not ready to become Shomer Shabbat, but I'll help you. And this is how our journey began. 18 years ago, 2001, Lech Lecha. And uh, since then, the, the family has grown in Torah and in mitzvot, in learning. And, um, and we are where we are today because of that decision my husband made, that Lech Lecha. He went out of himself and he went to the place that Hashem wanted to show him. And this is why I'm here today teaching livealittlehigher.com. Also four years ago, I had a Lech Lecha moment in which we moved away from our comfort, comfortable sunny Florida and we came to New York. And uh, I was teaching many classes in Florida, but I came here and there was nothing. Like, what am I gonna do? And this is how Live a Little Higher was born. And today, with this parasha, we're beginning the fourth year of livealittlehigher.com. So I want to say thank you to God. Happy birthday, Live a Little Higher. Thank you for bringing us up to this day with Torah, with mitzvot, with light, with love, with joy, with bracha, with blessings. And, um, and it's important to acknowledge these things in our lives and to say thank you. So Lech Lecha this week, we're going to learn from the book, The Inside Story by Rabbi Yanki Tauber. He teaches about, with the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he says, he begins here telling a story of, of an encounter that happened between the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Itzhak Schneerson, who was the father-in-law of the Rebbe. And he related an exchange that he had with his father when he was a 10-year-old boy, who was the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dovber. And I'm going to read it from here to, to, to tell you the encounter so you can understand where we're going. So when I entered my father's room in the early morning of Shabbat Lech Lecha of the year 1890, I found him sitting at his table reviewing the Torah section of the week. Father was in very high spirits, yet tears were streaming down his eyes. I was very confused, for I was unable to understand this combination of elation and tears, but I did not dare to ask him uh, about it. That evening, Father noticed that I very much wanted to say something and encouraged me to speak my mind. So I asked him about what I had seen that morning. Father explained, those were tears of joy. Once in the early years of his leadership, he continued, our ancestor, Rabbi Schneur Salman of Leadi, the Alter Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, told his students, one must live with the times. This is a famous phrase that the Rebbe used to use a lot. One must live with his time, with the times. The 
The younger Hasidim could not understand and could not grasp what their Rebbe was trying to say. So finally, Rabbi Shneer Salman's brother, Rabbi Yehuda Leib, gave an explanation and he said, one should live with an experience each day of one's life. The Torah section of the week and the specific portion of the week section which belongs to that day. So what he's saying is that the Torah is a living Torah. It's really the Jewish horoscope. We go by the Torah. We don't go by the horoscope. This is everything you need to know is here. Everything is in these pages. And the Torah is as relevant today to us as it was 3,000 years ago. It, it doesn't change. It goes with the times. So the section of Bereshit continued father is a happy section. Is a section in which God is creating worlds and creatures and is satisfied that it's good. So the, the Bereshit begins in a very happy note, but sadly the ending is not so. It is a very sad ending because we see the corruption of humanity and, and God's regret of the creation of, me, of man. In the section of Noah comes the flood, so it begins in a not happy mode, but it ends in a very happy way with the birth of Abraham, our forefather. And the truly joyous week, says the Rebbe, concluded his father, explaining his mood that morning, why he was having tears of joy, is Lech Leha, for every day of the week we live with our father Abraham. So this is a very happy week, because finally we have a person in the world that can see clearly, that has a clear mind, has a common sense, sees the truth, and he says here, it, we, the, he was the first to sacrifice himself to bring godliness to the world, together with Abraham who bequeathed his self-sacrifice for the Torah and mitzvot and an inheritance to each and every Jew. So we see here that um, Abraham's life was really not an easy life. He, has, he, he had to leave his home, he had to leave his family, he had to go to a place, he had no idea where he's going. When he gets there, there's famine. He had to go through so many tests in his life. Nevertheless, the Torah defines the times of Abraham as happy times because he was a person that was really in tune with God. He was really a, a servant of God, an evet of Hashem. He was a, a chariot of God. His life was completely nullified to the service of God. And this is why it's a happy, a happy parasha, because we come into this world and this is the purpose. We have to come to a point in which we just connect to Hashem's will and we should will what Hashem wills. And when we make Hashem's will our will, He'll make our will His will. So he says here, he continues, that a thousand years in your eyes, <clears throat> proclaims the psalmist in, in Psalm 90, in verse 4, is like yesterday's day. And the sages expound that seven days of creation are, are replayed on the macro-historical level in the seven millennia course of human history, which likewise consists of six workdays followed by seventh millennium, that is Holy Shabbat and rest for life everlasting, the age of Mashiach. So what he's saying here is that the six days of creation are a microcosm of the 6,000 years. And we're right now in the year 5,780. We just came into this year. If you make the math, we're very close to end, to getting to the sixth, to the sixth millennium. 
to ending 6,000 years of creation of the world. When this happens, we'll enter the seventh millennium, which is really the times of Mashiach, which on the seventh day is as a parallel to Shabbat. So the seven days of creation also embody the seven divine attributes or sefirot, which are the emotional attributes in which God defines his relationship with us. And the, the first that we have, I'm going to go through them, we have hesed, which is kindness, we have gebura, which is discipline, we have etiferet, which is mercy, and these are the three that we're going to talk about right now. Then you have netzach, which is endurance, we have hod, which is humility, yesod, foundation, and malchut, which is kingship. And each one of these sefirot is connected to one of the millennium and, and to one of the days of the week. So the first sephira is hesed, and this attribute of love does the first day of creation, saw the creation of light. So we see that the first day of creation is connected to hesed, to kindness. Also the first thousand years of creation, where, uh, since creation, are connected to kindness. And which is, represents the giving and bestowing elements of created reality. On the second day, God created the firmament and he divided between the waters that are above the heavens and on the earth. So to be able to make divisions in life, you need to have gebura, you need to have uh, boundaries, restriction, discipline. And, um, and, and this was a day of gebura. And the attributes of rigor, restraint, judgment, and delimitation. The third attribute, which is tiferet, which is harmony, mercy, uh, is a synthesis, is really the mixture of hesed and gebura. It's half and half, and this is the ideal. And so this is reflected in the fact that God's work on the third day included the setting of boundaries. He had to set boundaries because he de de defined the waters and the sea. He created boundaries, and this takes gebura. But at the same time, he, he created the plant life, and this brought this is done with hesed, with kindness. So true, the same is true to the corresponding millennium of history. I'm sorry, thank you. The first millennium was the millennium of hesed, an era of the divine generosity and benevolence in. And we see from the creation that God created the world with kindness, with with. Tremendous kindness. He gave us everything. He gave everything that anybody could ever imagine. Have you ever opened a, a, an apple and looked at it inside and the design of an apple? How Hashem gives us everything with love and with kindness. Even a, even a pepper, open a red pepper, cut it in half. Look at the flower, the design of the flower inside of that pepper. Hashem created the world with tremendous love. And, um, and the problem with this, was that humanity became ugh, horrendous, corrupt, entitled, ungrateful, uh, disconnected complete, completely from Hashem. They even started believing in other deities. And uh, this is what brought the downfall of the world and ended up in a flood. So we see that so much kindness really is not beneficial. Kindness has to be given in doses and it has to be given in a way in which it enables people to be the best they can be. 
and, uh, instead of giving them uh, entitlement and other types of feelings. So in the second thousand years of history, God's relationship with his world was characterized by the rigor and judgment of Geburah. As we know, the world had become very corrupt, even the animals had become corrupted, everything was corrupt and Hashem had to use his discipline, his rigor, his strictness, his judgment and bring a, a, a tremendous flood to the world in which everything was destroyed except Noah and his family and the animals that were saved. So these were followed by the millennium of Tiferet, which is what we said, the synthesis of Hesed and Gebura. And that is um, the third millennium, which is the time in which Abraham recognizes the one God and uh, he recognizes that there's nothing but God, that God is the one that runs the world. There's no the sun or the stars. They're only part of God. They're there to aid him in whatever he needs. But at the end of the day, Hashem is the one that is on top of everything. And this, um, this era of, uh, of, uh, of mercy, of Tiferet, it begins with Abraham and it goes through the lives of Isaac and Jacob, our founding fathers. And then it comes to the descent into Egypt. It also applies to the exodus of Egypt. And the highlight of the millennium is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So we can understand now how these three sefirot, these three attributes really work. Also, Abraham was personified Hesed, and um, as we know, he had a good son and a bad son. He had uh, Ishmael, who was very evil, and he had Isaac, who was a good son. Uh, Isaac was Gevura, was disciplined, and also, it's not so good, he had a good son and an evil son. He had Jacob and Esav. And then we see Jacob, which is Tiferet, which is the merging of the Hesed and the Gevura, and he had the 12 tribes of the Jewish people, which were all considered righteous men. So the Hasidic teachings defines the differences between these three phases of human history by employing the model of relationship between a, a teacher and a, and a student. So this methodology explains a little bit how these three synergies work. And the first one, the first approach is the approach of a brilliant teacher that desires to impart wisdom to a vastly inferior student. That the student doesn't have the capacity to be like the teacher. And, and his approach is to go ahead and communicate the idea to the student. So he'll give him all his ideas. The student is gonna grow from the ideas of that teacher. He's gonna become like the next generation of that way of thinking. If the teacher is wise enough, patient enough, and resourceful enough, he or she will find the words and analogies with which to convey the loftiest of concepts, even to a person that doesn't have the intellectual capacity to come to be like the teacher. Then there's a second approach. There's a, and this is considered a Hesed teacher. Then there's a Gevura teacher, which is the second approach. And this is a teacher that is very strong, it's not such a sweetheart, and, but his whole intention is that he wants the student to be independent thinker. He wants him to analyze, he wants him to comprehend the ideas on, on his own, he wants him to go and do research and to, to hustle a little bit, to get to open his head and, and, and be a thinker. And um, 
and he will withhold the knowledge from the student and provide him only with the pertinent rules and the methodology that it's needed. So the teacher will then stand by, as a, as stand by and see the poor student struggling on their own and uh, he won't sit down and help him uh, in any way. So this method of, uh, of the student, of, of, this, of this teacher will allow the student to learn to use his own faculties, but he won't only arrive to his own insights and he will never be able to have another point of view. And then each of these approaches has its advantages and its shortcomings because as Hesed and Gebura has goodness and also has the other side of the coin. So in the case of the Hesed teacher, of the benevolent teacher, the student benefits from a level of understanding that is vastly superior to anything he or she is capable of attaining on their own. But such intellectual charity does little to develop the mind of the, of the, of the student. So we see also in our age, when we are giving everything to our children, and, or the government is giving everything to the people, give, 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 free, 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 free. It's not, at the end it's not good, because it makes people lazy, people won't try to work on their own, it's not gonna bring out the potential of people. It's gonna make them complacent, and uh, at the end, that also brings an, a generation of entitlement and ungratefulness. So this is not the 100% good approach, it has a good part of it, but it has also a not good counter effect. So then we have that Gevura teacher, the teacher that's withholding the information, and it has a more meaningful effect on his, on his student. He has to make it on his own. He, like, he, can't, he has to do it by his own. He has someone there that is more or less guiding him, but he is the one that has to put in the effort. And these teachers restrain and seeming lack of generosity pay off by refusing to reveal anything which lies beyond the student's intellectual range. The teacher honors the student's true abilities because he's restraining himself. He allows that student to bring out his potential and it, it brings out the potential powers which would never have been realized under the tutelage of the benevolent teacher. The drawback of this type of uh, teaching approach is, however, is that whatever understanding the student can attain on their own will always be greatly inferior to the understanding that the teacher has acquired. So he's only gonna get to a certain point, he can never go higher. But however, there is a third approach. And uh, this third approach is a combination of these two, which is the deferred approach. It's not being so giving and it's not being so restricted. A truly great teacher, and this is what would define a truly great teacher, will integrate both these methods in their teaching, simul simulating the, pupil, the student's mind to overreach itself by feeding it with thoughts and insights that lie just beyond its capacity. So this teacher is gonna give him knowledge, yet never revealing enough. He's never gonna give him all the story. He's gonna give him some, but he's gonna restrain a little bit so that student from there on can go higher. So this, the student's mind will be nourished and expanded in front of, of, of in, in from within. 
Ultimately, the teacher's blend, this blended teacher of benevolence and restraint will elevate the, the student's mind to the level on which it not only comprehends the most sublime and lofty teachings, but also it assimilates them into his or her own thought process and in, in, in the intellectual self. So this is the right approach in life to everything. When you're educating your kids, in your relationships, ni tanto ni tinto, como dicen in Spanish. Not so much here, not so much there. In the middle. And as Maimonides said, we should always take the middle path. And this is what it's saying here. So from here we learn that for the first thousand years of history, God was like this benevolent teacher. He was giving everybody everything for free. And we see that it was a fiasco. At the end, people were corrupted and evil and he had to destroy them. So this is not, we see from here that this is not the right approach. Also, the, the approach of Gevura, Gevura, Gevura also can really cripple a person to be what he should be. It's not gonna allow him to, to evolve, it's gonna cripple him. So the last generation of the second millennium yielded Abraham, the ultim ultimate spiritually self-made man, because this restraint allowed this to come, this Gevura, and the son of, uh, he was a son of the Mesopotamian idol maker. His father was the, war, the, the most famous idol maker. Nevertheless, Abraham was able to come and recognize on his own, with his own mind, that there is a God, that there is one God, that, uh, that he's the ruler of the world, he's the king of the world, he's the one that runs the world, he's in charge, he's the driver, and, um, and this brought the world to a complete different era. It brought the world to a, a, an era of Tiferet, of the synergy of Hesed and Gebura, in which what we need is given to us, but also we're allowed to ponder and, and go out and learn by ourselves, maybe mess up a little bit once in a while so we can get it well. But Hashem wants the effort. He wants us to, 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 for us to put the effort and to get the merit. He doesn't want to give it to us for free. So, so we see here that Abraham heard the voice of God go you as the divine call from your land, from your birthplace, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now that you have obtained the utmost of your own inborn potentials, your land, your birthday, and your father's house, you must reach beyond yourself for the land, for the land that I will show you. So this whole three millennium, what is showing us is that God wants us to look for him. He really wants us to get close to him, but from our point, from our effort, our work, and thus began the journey into the millennium of Tiferet, the millennium which saw the synthesis of the divinely bestowed and the humanly earned. God gives us, but we have to earn it. That's the, 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 the point line here. That is the, the, the teaching. This millennium reaches climax at Mount Sinai, where God communicated to us his wisdom and will enclosed in the garments of a human reason and human endeavor. The Torah breached the barrier between the godly and the terrestrial. And this is what's the most important part. It says, allowing a divine gift to become a human achievement. This is the Torah. The Torah is a gift that God gave humanity, but it becomes our own achievement. It doesn't come for free. 
we have to work for it. And human effort to touch the divine. When we're able to come to that, then we're able to touch infinity. We're able to touch God, the divine. So my friends, Lech Lecha, have a blessed week. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.